0: Welcome to the Accountants Exposed podcast, where we create lightbulb moments for our listeners by exposing the journeys, secrets, and insights of some of the top players in accounting. This podcast is brought to you by Michael Edelstein, director and founder of Recruitment Expert, a specialist accounting recruitment agency working across Australia, New Zealand, and Asia-Pacific. Today, we're lucky to have the wonderful Ali Garrett on our podcast, the founder and principal of All In Advisory in Adelaide, with an impressive career spanning 25 years. She has recently gone out on her own, and in less than two years of running her own firm, she has picked up Small Business Advisor and Principal of the Year awards, plus Top 50 Woman in Accounting and South Australia's SMSF and Accounting Professional of the Year, Partner of the Year, Overall Excellence Awards, as well as a Top 50 Cloud Accountants in Australia. Ali was an amazing guest and I'm really excited to share the wide range of topics we touched on. Please enjoy. Thank you for making the time to join us on the podcast, Ali.
1: No problem. Um, Thanks for having me.
0: Pleasure. Now, you've been in practice for over 25 years now. I think you started as a cadet in PKF (laughs) and then went on to become a director at Deloitte and the director at a local firm and recently went out on your own I think less than two years now right?
1: Yeah As it'll be thunder. two years in October yeah time's flying Fantastic. when you're having fun. <laughs> I, was I, people, you- I was one of those people that um, always knew what I wanted to do so I pretty much went into full-time work and part-time study hence the number of years behind me.
0: <laughs> Quite true. I mean, and in that short time, just going out on your own, you've accumulated so many accolades. I've, I'm struggling to keep up with them now. So well done on that.
1: <laughs> I, I Actually, I'll give you the heads up. I'm officially retiring from the award circuit. So <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've, I've, I've done my dash. <laughs> I think I'll, 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 I'll end on top.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. Um, well, you were talking about you always knew what you wanted to do. I, I guess let's start off from that aspect of it what made you get into accounting and I guess particularly tax and, and business services as a school leaver or as a union student?
1: Yeah. Um, my dad is an accountant I think it's genetic um, and <laughs> we always used to talk about business over the table to be honest and I always found it really interesting like I would walk into a cafe or a restaurant and I'd kind of work out you know, how much they might bring in and, you know, we'd try and work out what profit they made, which is quite odd. I know it's a silly game to play, but that's what I used to do. Um, I love it. Yeah. I, I, so, I do the same. <laughs> yeah. Right. I think it's it's born within me. It's this genetic code and my little boy who's 10 is exactly the same. And I'm like, oh honey, I think I know where you're going to land. So, um, you know, I kind of did this, I was working full time. So I knew what the job was and I just loved it. I was one of those really lucky people that, always wanted to be something and I became it and I loved it and I've loved every moment of it and the journey has changed uh, as accounting and advisory has changed over those years um, and I really like the innovation side and where it's going so um, certainly for me it's it's always kept me on my toes it's always been challenging I'm always learning something new I'm always trying to be at the forefront um, of where things are going so it was the best career choice for me and I've loved every moment of it.
0: Fantastic. How do you feel the industry has changed? I mean, you you touched the fact that it's changed over the years and you've been yeah. in it for that long to, to witness all the changes.
1: Yeah, look, I think it's the technology component. Um, the real game changer was this real-time information allowing us to – Really advise, like I remember back at Deloitte, which was in 2010, when you know the zero rep came in, um, and I was mm-hmm. sitting in a boardroom. In it was dark. I had my managers and directors around me, and at the end of this session, I was like, "Um, I, I, I that is literally a light bulb moment. This is the game changer because for so long we'd been talking about we're going to give proactive advice, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, but how could we when the systems were so antiquated? It wasn't real time." Mm. The, you get the two at
0: the end of the year. All that's
1: it. right. All of the groundwork to even get quarterly reports, which were then three, four months down the track, it was nearly impossible. But to then get that real-time data, to then provide real-time conversations, to have real-time mm. advisory so you could, you know, you could tell a client literally to pull levers as they go to really improve their profit and cash flow. And that's when, for me accounting changed. And from that moment on, I I really moved down that cloud pathway and that real-time information and that integration automation space. And I think I've always loved it, but it was really around the advisory piece, which is what I got so excited about. And that's, for me, where accounting has really changed. Some of it is still the same. There's always compliance. Um, And the technology has just helped us to make that component easier if we choose to um, use it.
0: Uh, And it's interesting because, I mean, there's still a lot of firms that even though they have zero, I don't think they're having the conversations that you're talking about. They still do things the same way. But, yeah, Yeah. they have access to it, but they're not having the conversations that you're having.
1: And this is what I say to a lot of people. The tech isn't the bit that's going to be the game changer. It's going to be what you do with it. It's going to be how you re-engineer your processes how you re-educate your staff and how you educate your clients. And those are the really difficult parts of the tech. The tech is actually incredibly easy. It's all of the change management around it that makes it so difficult. And that's where I think people have some levels of fear or comfort and they think, I can't do it, I don't have the skills. Like there's this huge conversation around what is advisory. Every accountant does it every single day. They just don't commoditize it. (laughs) I do. I've flipped the way that I try and win a client and I flipped the way that I treat a client because the compliance is just the outcome, but it's every single piece before it that is advisory. And that's really how I um, have manufactured this advisory type component in my business. I, I value ties it.
0: Okay. And I guess what were the highlights of that journey of the last 25 years? <sighs>
1: I think the connections I've made um, in the industry, the ability to provide, uh, you know, really relevant advice to clients, um, mm-hmm. really getting, becoming a virtual CFO, that's the bit that I've really enjoyed. And the team members that have I've been able to take on the journey, like, you know, a few of the team, I actually met at a pry firm and they came across with me and... You know when I met them, they were doing the stock standard tax and accounting, but these guys are absolute superstars, and they wanted to do more, but they were so inhibited and so kind of branching out and showing them what is available and what more there is. It it completely transforms, you know, your career and it makes these people into stars, like, because they've got, they basically have superpowers that other people don't have and around that advisory piece. And, you know, I'm all about playing to your strengths and when these, when you see people that have that ability, it can completely transform their career. And that's the bit I've really loved, Um, seeing people really find a passion for it and actually
0: enjoy their job. (laughs) Okay. Well, I mean, speaking of that, like, is that one of your criterias, what you look for in an accountant, like that advisory piece when you call someone a superstar? What does that really um, mean for you?
1: It means that there's something about them that stands out to me. So in my career I've, I've managed a lot of people and some people just have that extra little bit. They they either love what they do or they're passionate about what they do or they've got a really great skill set that may not have been explored Um, Mm -hmm. And my role is to really find that and support and encourage them to basically commercialise that and become a specialist in it. Um, And that's why I call them superstars. They go above and beyond. It's more than just the nine to five. It's something that motivates them. And they have a why. They have a purpose. And I think that for me is what I look for, the why. Like why are you doing it? What's in it? What? What do you want to get out of it?
0: Mm. Well, I mean, for a lot of people, yeah, it's it's just a job and it was kind of better than an arts degree in terms of a stable career and that's about it. (laughs) And that's
1: okay. That's okay if that's what you want. Um, Mm -hmm. And we all need those people in practice. Um, But then you just find the special ones, you know, just every now and again. It doesn't come up all the time, but every now and again, there'll be some special ones and you just think, oh, gosh, there's something, there's something more. Mm.
0: Is it innate or is it a skill that's developed? And if so, like, you know, what would you advise an accountant in a firm that's kind of rising through their career right now to develop Be open to
1: opportunities, need? I think. Yeah, I think it's the opportunities. If something's presented to you, do it. Even if there's a little bit of fear attached to it or you're not quite sure, do your research. Um Go a bit of above and beyond, you know, become a champion in something. Be known for something. Stand out and don't be afraid to kind of blow your own trumpet a little bit. Um, I guess we all have to. That's something I learned being in a big four. You you have to kind of promote what is it that you do? What makes you different? Why do you deserve this? Um, you kind of learn to sell yourself a little bit. And I think as you can't be cocky about it, you actually have to have the skills to Prove
0: it. But I, th-
1: yeah. Yeah, I think if you can do that, that's really what makes you stand out and that's how you can progress in your career. Yeah, Have
0: you got examples from your career or from, I guess, people you know that have done that really well?
1: Yeah. So when I went to – I'd always – had a tourism and hospitality specialisation but I didn't really know it or understand what it was at the time I just knew the industry really well and when I went to Deloitte um, their marketing person basically because I was a director at the time and I was heading towards the pathway to partnership she said Al you've got to have a point of difference what makes you different from the person next to you because you might have the same level of skill with the same number of years behind you Um, And I said, well, you know, I do focus in a particular area. And she said, that's it. And it goes around the marketing, really. She said, every single time you speak to a partner, a director, a client, anytime you go out to the market, that's what you tell them. That's what you say. And so that's what I started to do. I developed, I got on LinkedIn and I started just posting things that I was already reading anyway around tourism and hospitality and connecting with anybody in that industry. I'd also go to industry events um and i just kind of got known for it and that helped me stand out from the crowd and so that's you know that specialization is is that's where i've come from and then obviously when Mm. i started all in we do focus on tourism and hospitality and we still go out with that clear consistent message yes we do other work but it's that specialization that brings people to us like we get referrals from other accountants and lawyers and bankers for tourism and hospitality because that's They know that's what we do.
0: How is that niche working out for you during COVID? Because (laughs) it's the worst possible niche to be in, tourism, hospitality and leisure. (laughs) You can't get worse than that.
1: (laughs) Surprisingly well. Um, So I guess (laughs) there's government stimulus obviously at the moment. We're also in Radelaide, right? So um, we've done fairly well out of most of the states. But a lot of my clients had to pivot um, and they've done that, and I'm so proud of them for doing that. So they've still got functioning, viable businesses. I mean, these were viable businesses pre-COVID. So yep. th- there's, they're always going to find a way. Um, but the other thing is, we are diversified. So yes, we specialise, and yes, we have a high number of tourism and hospitality clients but we've also got a breadth of clients in lots of different industries varying from um, startup to very large so we have a very diversified client base and that has helped us kind of weather the storm and in fact during COVID we had our most productive and profitable month um, in April. So it just goes to show that sometimes it's how you work it.
0: <laughs> and we got paid, had the
1: cash flow to... came too. <laughs>
0: Fantastic. I mean, have you had to make any changes or adaptations or help your clients in any way to get them through then and to help you and get that record sort of month?
1: Um, two things uh, that we did. Uh, one is that we worked remotely, there was not one single change that we made because we set up to be able to do that if. We needed to. We also outsourced, so we had to have the processes, the tech, the skills, Mm -hmm. the communication channels, so none of that changed. But what we did for our clients um, was I think what a lot of other accountants did you know, we're very good at communicating and marketing to them, but we put everything on warp speed. So, the connection points were many. So, it wasn't just through the socials. It was through personal emails from me. It was from newsletters. It was from, I was doing Zoom videos once a week. We ran webinars. So, the communication touch points to help our clients through that process and educate them was enormous. And I made the decision that my team would literally do bums down, you know, heads down, bums up, just get the work done because I needed that cash to flow. And I would focus on all of the client communications because I knew how to deal with that and that would be the most stressful part. And so, we weathered that storm. So, we didn't do JobKeeper for all of our clients. We literally educated so that they could do it themselves and the ones that couldn't, we then took over. So we had, we had more work because we were helping with the compliance job keeper but charging for it. And then we were doing our normal compliance work as well.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um, and back to that journey question, I guess you told me some of the highlights and I guess the main one for you would be starting the practice. Yeah. Over, over think, 25. Yeah, go on.
1: Yeah, I... I I think landing my first job, um, you know, without any study behind me, that was a pretty big deal Um, and so I was so super happy to start and you know what, I remember every single promotion. Like I started really in, I guess, you know, admin and then moved to accounting fairly quickly and then, you know, you go from accountant, like, a you know, accountant to junior accountant to, to intermediate to senior mm-hmm. to manager. And then I moved from manager to go to the big four as a director. And that was a really big move for me. It was really scary because I'd worked for 13 years, literally in one firm, but that firm had merged. So, it started really small, like one partner, and then merged to become Manjad, which then became PKF and became quite large. It's now BDO. And so, I, so I'd actually worked with that one firm, for that one partner for 13 years. And so it was a really big move for me to get to Deloitte. And I did that because at the time, unfortunately, I'd had my first baby and the feedback I was getting was I wasn't going to get any further
0: mm.
1: in my career. And I was having people kind of be promoted Above me that had less experience and less skill set and less client communication skills. And I thought, well, that isn't really fair. So that's why I moved to Deloitte, being an employer of choice for women at the time. It was an amazing experience. I learned so much from that. Um, the IP was just amazing. And that was a really turning, that was a huge turning point in my career. I'd worked for as a senior female partner, and I'd never worked with another more senior female in my whole life, so that was a really different experience and it changed me as a as a manager. It changed me as a person because I had quite a wow. male dominated manager type hmm. format because that's what I'd always learned and then I learned that I could actually be a bit more of myself and that it was okay to be a mum and still be a successful career person and all of those things that come with that so that was a really big career moment for me and then I think the next defining one was obviously starting all in and that was born from sheer frustration (laughs) of um actually felt like a bit of a fraud I was delivering to clients all these beautiful cloud integrated um ecosystems and I couldn't deliver it in the firm that I was in I only I got to a certain point and then was inhibited because I didn't want to go any further which was fine because that's you know that's what they wanted and that was their choice and I said look I this is really my pathway it's something I'm so passionate about can you know is it okay and they said yeah yeah that's fine and so we we parted on really amicable terms and um Hence the the start of, of all in. And I must say I never imagined that it would go as well as it has or, or resonated as much as it has, but the clients are just literally rolling through the door. <laughs> so we must we must be onto something.
0: <laughs> Did you have clients follow you from sort of practice to practice over the years?
1: Yeah. Um Yes, I've had some clients for 25 years and more, in fact, a lot of them. Um, Wow. Yeah, so I guess, to to be honest, I think every client I've ever worked on has moved with me. Um,
0: Okay, that helps a lot.
1: Oh, and that's what I'm saying, like, you know... I guess we started with a really big bang but the way I describe it is we're a 25-year startup. I had a really solid client base behind me yeah. and the bigger the client base, the, the more referrals you get, the easier it is to grow and to build and a lot of those clients are amazing referrers and, you know, you I, I'll ask them for a testimonial and they'll be like, oh, yeah, you know, what do you want? And, um, yeah, I'm, I've been very, very lucky but I'm very loyal <laughs> to my clients and I I do think about them a lot and I do look after them and I and I, I, I think that's maybe why they're so sticky. Like I think um, when you truly do care about a person's business and want them to succeed and grow, um, they feel that, they know that, they know it's genuine.
0: Yeah, and I think authenticity always wins over people. At the end of the day, it's still a people business, isn't it? it Despite honestly, the
1: yes, 100%. <laughs> It's a it's a people business, and it's about managing those relationships and really delivering. Because um, they just they just think that every accountant delivers the same thing. They don't realise there are differences. And um, but what they want from you is that understanding and support. And you know, the first thing I always ask a client is, "What's your why?" And as soon as I know that, it's a completely different conversation. It's a completely different outcome for them. It's a completely different service delivery. And I customise mm-hmm. that relationship based upon their why.
0: Yeah. you do the Simon Sinek why thing? Sorry? you do the Simon Sinek why thing?
1: Yes. I'm a big believer <laughs> okay. of the Simon Sinek, the why. It's more powerful. Do you know every client that comes in, we get them to fill out a form just with all their details. We ask them about their why. It is so powerful. And then we actually just, we, we put on this really simple certificate and we send it to them basically saying, we're here to support you and empower your why and this is it. And, it. and we try and enforce that. So every single time I'll have a meeting with them, I'll start with the why. And every single time I send them information, it's, you know, this is the why you're doing it. And it actually is quite empowering to them. Like they really feel yeah. like you're part of that journey. And, and it's just putting the why and giving it some life they've given it to me i haven't given it to them i'm just giving it life
0: interesting it's a good approach it works uh, <laughs> is there anything else that i guess makes you guys different or stand out besides you said like the conversations um uh, yeah, i mean you're I think, in zero but a lot of firms are in zero now um what else do you guys do that's different?
1: yeah I, it's the specialization number as well um but it's more of the advisory focus, so kind of flipping that compliance on its head and saying we're going to deliver all these services and our compliance is the outcome. But the, the other thing we do is obviously in Adelaide there's not a huge market for cloud integrators um, and so we're kind of the only ones really active in that space here and and predominantly all of our clients are from Adelaide. We have one or two from New South Wales and Melbourne but not many Um, And so, in Adelaide, that makes us different. And I have to say, a lot of firms say they're zero and they can do it. But the reality is, we've been doing this for over 10 years. So, we know it really, really well. And like I said before, it's not just the tech. So, we don't say, here's your cloud stack. We Mm -hmm. say, this is what we think your cloud stack should be. Let's implement it, re-engineer your processes, train and re-educate. And then hold your hand and deliver your advisory. So it's that whole journey from beginning to end that makes us different. Because some people jump in at different spots. We can do the so it's whole not just gamut.
0: Them, it's not just giving them cloud. Because when you say cloud integrator, um, I was going to say what you mean by that. So you, the, way I, the way I interpret it is it's not just giving them cloud for their business it's giving them a whole bunch of other tools and apps and suites that allow the business to run in the cloud seamlessly integrated together. Is that yep, that's correct? right. So
1: we choose cloud products that um, they need in their business, whether that be accounting, point of sale, HR. We find cloud mm-hmm. products. We then integrate those products so that they talk to each other. We then automate as much of that as we can through the back end. Then we recreate. Do
0: yourself or do you hire someone?
1: No, we do that ourselves.
0: Wow. It's
1: pretty easy. It's, and this is the okay. thing. The tech is the easy bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's actually the re-engineering of process and, re- and re-education. Um, and so then we'll actually look at what were the processes before and what do they need to be. Mm-hmm. And then we look at then training the staff and then giving, I guess, working out what they need as outcomes and we then deliver on those. So it is, I guess, the bigger picture.
0: And what's been the biggest impact? I mean, because obviously there's got to be a selling point of ROI for doing that. Mm. What's the biggest impact on clients of having that cloud integration from you guys?
1: Yeah, efficiencies, number one, getting time back. Um, If I can give you some examples, so we have a large pub group who has about six pubs. They had a bookkeeper in each pub. They were using My. We pushed them up to zero, integrated their point of sale and HR with Receipt Bank. Um, They now have half a bookkeeper and they re-engineered to bring in a CFO for strategy. So when you consider that each of those bookkeepers was around 50 to 60K a year and the savings that they got and then they got this real-time data and now they've got a CFO for strategy, they've just purchased another pub, they wouldn't have been able to do that if they'd still been on this desktop, um, Mm. you know, old school antiquated Mm -hmm. systems yeah and another one where was a builder where he had no oversight of his business and he was doing really well but we literally moved him up to the cloud integrated um you know things like zero zero projects receipt bank just as pretty simple stock standard ones nothing out of the box um now he now has real-time insight into his business his profit has doubled since bringing us on and he has doubled his team members and he uh, you know, I was filming a testimonial today with him who he literally says that um, there is power in what we do and we work in tourism and hospitality, which is really low margin. So what mm. I'm trying to do is deliver you back profit so that you can make real-time decisions, gain efficiencies and cost savings and, you know, the back-end accounting compliance work really is just, you know, making sure that there's a bit of a review and a few click of the buttons.
0: <laughs> but
1: the, okay. not, you're not paying 5, 6K for compliance work. They're paying 5, 6K for advisory and it's improving their business.
0: Okay. I can see the pitch now. It's a good pitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it works. <laughs> I can tell. Um, now, I was going to ask you something. I guess there aren't too many female-run practices in Australia or, or in Adelaide especially. Um, do you feel it's been a different journey for you as a female in the accounting industry compared to if you were a male? Can you speak yeah. a little bit to that?
1: Yeah. Uh, look, I have to tell you, I'm most probably every female I talk to that is in a senior position has got stories to tell. I certainly do have stories to tell. Um, and it's despite some of those stories, it's it's, I think, My resilience and how I it kind of it egged me on (laughs) to just keep going. I was told on many occasions, um, you know, this is where you're going to stay. Especially when I started to have children, people assumed that I no longer wanted a career, and that's fine if you don't. But I did, Um, and so I feel like I've had to fight for every position. I feel like I've had to show my worth, Um, but certainly going out on our own. I even felt that I needed to, um, get credibility. And so that's what, um, going into some of those awards for was to build that credibility so that people understood that what we were doing was something special and something different, and that we were being recognized for that. If I was a male, would I have done that? Most probably not, to be honest, I wouldn't have felt the need to. Um, I feel like I've had to fight for every position that I've ever had, and at times decisions have been fair, and other times they've been unfair. Um, but it certainly made me stronger. It certainly made me more resilient, and I can be quite strategic. <laughs> um, I've people tend to underestimate me, um, <laughs> and so I like to prove them wrong.
0: <laughs> That's a perfect attitude. It gives you a bit of hunger.
1: It does. It makes me hungry, definitely. Don't do ever tell you, me I imagine. can't because I will. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm kind of the same in that regard. Um, do you find it's changed now or, like, will, is there a particular point that you feel I think the it's landscape changing for females?
1: I think it's changing. Okay. Um, we're not there yet. There's, you know, I can still walk into a room and not be heard. Um, I, you know, this classic of being around a boardroom and, and putting your opinion forward and nobody listening and then a male saying the same thing. And they get listened oh. to. It happens. And, uh, you know, going to conferences and seeing all males on the panel, uh, what we like to call mannels um, it still happens. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I'm hopeful that things are changing. I know some really strong, incredibly intelligent, powerful women in this industry that are changing it up and are here to be heard. Uh, we are just as capable. And, but what I love about this is that it just provides the diversity, just the diversity of, thought of having different people in a room and whether that be culture, race, religion, gender, just as long as there's diversity, I think that that's where we can help more people and support more people rather than just having one point of view. Um, and so I, I do believe it's changing. I've got two girls, so I hope that they don't have to experience some of the things that I've had to experience which have been pretty poor. Um, yeah, you know, like things like I was told, oh, I know how you got where you got and I'm like, why? Oh, because it's what what you look like or who did you have to connect with or have a relationship with to get that job? Mm. I don't think a male would have to have those questions asked of them. And, you you know, when I was pregnant, I was told I was fat. I mean, you don't say that or do that. Or um, I was told my career was going to end. Like, that's not okay. Um, So I'm hoping (laughs) that those things will change. And um, I have seen some change in that area. But I think it takes people to be strong to call out some of the poor behaviour. Because maybe some people don't recognise that they're doing it.
0: No, I'm really glad you spoke about that because it's it's not something that gets spoken about very often in the industry. And
1: I have to tell you, as I said before, every single woman that I have spoken to has a story mm. and that's the sad thing. And I want for there to be one day where they don't have that story, where there has been fairness and equality um, and they don't feel like they had to fight for it.
0: What else, I mean, you said like we're we're getting there. What else do you think needs to happen or any like one or two things that definitely need to be fixed or or changed or that would have the biggest impact?
1: I think storytelling is a really powerful thing. So giving people the power to tell their stories um, Mm -hmm. and just having both males and females recognising that they're still not there with equality. There is still gender pay gaps. There are still super innovation gaps for women. There are still um, fewer women in senior roles leading firms. So providing opportunities to people based upon their worth, not on their ethnicity or gender, um, and trying to reduce that subconscious bias. Like we all have to kind of look deep within ourselves and saying are are we or do we have a subconscious bias and it starts with us it starts with the individual it starts with the person and if you see poor behavior call it out and help somebody on that journey or if you if you're in a boardroom and you know a woman is talking and that question isn't heard saying hey hey like Ali just said something what do you think um it's it's actually calling it out and it's the smallest little things that um, can have the most difference, but I think it's just starting with us and making sure that we're not giving our own biases into the decision-making process, but trying to keep it a bit more open. Never I assume. you.
0: <laughs> yes, 100%. I'm, I always keep saying that to, to all of my staff as well. Mm. Um, you mentioned there are some very strong, I guess, powerful females in the industry that you respect. Anyone that comes to mind? That you uh, admire or absolutely mentored
1: Lilette Absolutely. Carly Parker, Nat Lennon, Kelly Chard, Lee Duffield, Heather Smith, you know. Wow, a
0: lot of names.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah. And there's more. There's so, there's so many more. And um, this is the thing. Like often I see people say, oh, there's an all-male panel. We didn't have it. There's no females that could talk on this issue. Of course there is. Of course there is. They're just not looking hard enough. Um, and in fact, uh, Lilet, Kylie, and Kelly have started a business called Account Tech Global, um, which is basically women speakers. If you want a woman, go on here. There's a plethora. <laughs> Pick. <laughs>
0: um,
1: you know, I no think, more
0: excuses. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. Like it's. I think you've just got to ask the right questions, um, or, or do a little bit more research and do a bit more delving. Don't just. Go to the people that have always been gone to. There's, there's more there.
0: Mm. What's it been like to balance work and family uh, as a female now that you started your own business? And I yeah. actually, I love a comparison between being a director in a firm and being a mum and kind of mm. balancing versus running your own business now.
1: Yeah. Do you know, uh, my eldest is 14, nearly 15. So, I've been doing it for a long time. And when I moved to Deloitte, it was for that reason I wanted to have that fluidity between my work and my home and the recognition that I'm I'm a mum. So, I've been doing part-time work. So, between three to four days for that whole time. Um, And I've always been really, really conscious around setting boundaries and keeping boundaries around that. So, with every employer that I've had, post-having the children, I've been really open with them around, okay, these are my boundaries. This is what I can and cannot do. Um, and by by setting those boundaries and having re- really clear communication, I've been out of function just as well and produce as much productivity as anybody else. Um, but I do have the ability to switch on and off um, because I love what I do. It's not a chore. So, with the advancement of technology, it certainly helped that I can be anywhere um and being able to do other work (laughs) or be with the kids but what I'm doing at the moment is I do a four-day week but I do drop-offs and pickups for the kids and then on Fridays I have that off with the weekend with the kids as well so when I'm with the kids I'm present with them I'm engaging with them I turn off my tech and then obviously when I'm able the tech is on and I'm just banging through it um so, I think for me, it's it's different for every single person and I know that men now are spending more time with their families and want that flexibility also and they've got this bias where people presume they don't want to, whereas they may. So, that's changing as well for people where I think we need to provide flexibility in what works best for every single person but what I've found is that every single person is different. So, what works for me may not work for somebody else. Um But how I've done it is through very clear communication and boundary setting and it works. And the difference between being a director and a partner for me wasn't much different um, because I had my own client base at Deloitte. I've got my own client base now. The difference more is the volume (laughs) and managing the volume.
0: Thank you for tuning in and hope you enjoyed this episode. Please like our podcast and share it on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, wherever it is you hang out so more people can benefit from these speakers. Also, please subscribe on our website so you get all of our latest episodes. And if there's anything else I can help you with or you have speakers you'd love to hear from or some feedback about the current episode, please feel free to send an email to michael at recruitmentexpert.com.au. Until then, take care and I look forward to connecting with you in the future.